Welcome to Boston's Best, a podcast where you go behind the scenes with financial planner Mark Condon as he asks industry-leading experts in and around Boston to talk about their businesses. Mark will find out what sets these companies apart from their competition and how they have risen above the inevitable challenges they have faced along the way to their ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Mark Condon. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode 80 of Boston's Best, brought to you by Condon Productions. The goal of this podcast is to highlight businesses in and around Boston. My guest on today's podcast is Robin Reisberg. Robin is the founder of Boston Community Pediatrics. They are the first nonprofit private pediatric practice bringing equity to pediatric healthcare in Massachusetts. They were founded in November of 2020 and have made a huge difference in the community. Robin's passion began when she was traveling after college and saw the lack of care in other countries. She worked elsewhere for 15 years before being convinced by her husband and two daughters to go for it and start Boston Community Pediatrics. From her first pitch to a panel the night before COVID hit hard here in the States, to having to put this on pause for a few months, to finally getting her first donation, it was a wild few months for Robin. In this episode, we talk in depth about the full suite of programs and services Boston Community Pediatrics provides. They, of course, provide typical primary care services you would expect, but they also provide mental health resources, fitness, nutrition, and after-school programming. And be sure to listen to the end, as Robin shares the advice she'd give to someone looking to start their own business what she would tell her 18-year-old self, and how she defines success in any given year. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boston's Best. Good morning. This week, we have Robin Reisberg. Robin is the founder of Boston Community Pediatrics. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Thanks for um, having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on Boston's Best. I haven't had anyone in this field on on the podcast. So I'm always looking for different fields to get on. So I'm excited to have you guys on here. Awesome. Thank uh, you. Yeah. So before we get into, you know, the company itself, give us a little bit of background on you. Are you from Massachusetts originally? I am. I was, well, I was born in Philadelphia, but um, okay. but since I was two, I lived in outside Boston. I grew up in Wellesley and I'm one of four children. My parents were super involved in the community and giving back to the community. And that was definitely a part of my upbringing. I think like from the moment I could walk, I was like being taken to like channel two auctions to raise money for PBS and UNICEF and Children's Hospital and all sorts of things. And so um, it's definitely kind of been a part of my life. That's cool. Nice. Did you go to school in Massachusetts? What did you do, after, you know, you know, early on? I, yeah. So I went to undergrad at the University of Michigan. My parents are actually originally from Michigan, um, which I loved so much. I was not pre-med in college, um, which was probably way more fun for me. Um, and <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't know that I wanted to be a doctor, so it wasn't like a purposeful thing. And then I did go to the to University of Massachusetts Medical School. So oh, I was okay. back in Worcester for med school. Nice. Okay. So how long was the total period that you were in school for? For medical school? Yeah. Well, so I took a very like long circuitous route. So as I said, I didn't, um, I wasn't pre-med in college. I actually didn't know I wanted to be a doctor. I thought I was going to be a sports psychologist okay. um, and get my PhD in psychology. And then after college, I traveled all around the world. Well, I first worked two jobs to save money and then traveled around the world, uh, predominantly in Southeast Asia. And while I was in India and seeing the kind of incredible poverty there, I yeah. thought in the back of my mind, 
I don't even know if I said it out loud. I probably wrote it in my journal. It'd be amazing to be a physician because you could really do something to help yeah. people with so many medical problems and different things. And But I continued on my travels, went home, um, ended up getting a job in New York City, working for Planned Parenthood and, and really never thought about, never talked about it. Maybe I once mentioned it to my parents that I had like thought about going to medical school and they were like, well, I mean, I think if you want to do that, you should probably do something about it. While I was working at Planned Parenthood, I was actually doing fundraising for them and I started working in their uh, volunteering in one of their clinics. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, this is definitely like I'm being at a desk job is not for me. Yeah. And that this felt like something that um, really felt meaningful and that I would be able to give back. And so I literally woke up one day in June and was like, I think I'm going to go to med school. I remember I like told my sister who I'm very close with and my parents and they were like, great. Like, how are you going to do that? And so I found that there was this program called uh, post-baccalaureate program at Bryn Mawr in Pennsylvania, where you can do all your pre-med requirements in one year. So it's like August to August. I literally had no pre-med classes. I took biology at the University of Michigan with um, most of the athletes. So it wasn't the most rigorous course. Yes. Smart. And it didn't count. They kept they kept trying to get it to count from towards like my pre med requirements. I'm like, this is not like uh, like legit biology. Class. Like <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah. So I went to that program and completed that program and then applied to med school and then it was kind of off to the races from there. Wow. Okay. So when did you officially open Boston Community Pediatrics? What year was that? So that was last year. So okay. um, just about a year ago. So November of 2020. So I worked in the medical field for over 15 years somewhere else. Okay. Um, I did my residency at Boston Children's Hospital and Boston Medical Center in a program called the Boston Combined Residency Program in Pediatrics. And then right soon after that, I started working at the South End Community Health Center, where I worked for about 15 years. Um, before I left, I had been the chief of pediatrics there and the medical director of uh, their school-based health center at the Blackstone School. It was kind of during my time there that I realized I wanted to do something else. Got it. Okay. Was there, and you, and that was, so you woke up in June, like, was there a specific moment or like experience that you had like the day before where that kind of like prompted you to just like finally do it? Or is it just, you just woke up one day and said, now's the time. I, I think, you know, I had had that experience in India. I had also yeah. been on the Burmese border of Thailand when I traveled again, that was a couple of years back before I made this decision, but yeah. I, um, where I saw a lot of kids who had kind of really significant medical problems or, or even, and, and also some minor problems. Like one, this one girl, I'll never forget. I actually wrote my med school application about it was had a fishbone stuck in her throat and there was like no medical care there. So no one could help her. Oh, um, so she kind of was like walking around with it and it just seemed like, Oh my gosh, if I were a doctor, I could just like fix this right yeah. now. And so those things had been percolating in the back of my mind. I always had known that I wanted to do something like, I think where I was helping people. Cause that was like a kind of passion of mine, even wanting to be a psychologist that yeah. sort of went along with that. For sure. And I think kind of inspired by the work that, or the volunteer work that my parents had done and, and what I learned from them. And so, but there, and, and then there wasn't like one experience in New York. It was kind of like, I, I knew that this, um, kind of working in an office and doing fundraising was so important to the mission of the parenthood, yeah. but it just didn't feel like this was what I could do for the rest of my life. Wow. Wow. That's great. Yeah. So what are the, so when you decide to open a nonprofit, uh, like what are some of the early challenges you, ex- you experienced when you were 
trying to go about that process? What was that like? Um, it was definitely a very windy and yeah. <laughs> road. I was trying to think back, like when people ask me, like, where did you come up with this idea or how did, yeah. how did it get started? So probably in around about 2017, I had this boss at, um, at the South End Community Health Center. He was the medical director and he was this 80 year old pediatrician who hadn't practiced medicine in probably like 20 years. And he was this like kind of crass, white haired, almost like Santa Claus looking type guy. And he okay. would, like, he just like said whatever was on his mind. And yeah. At first I was like a little bit like, who is this guy they just hired to be my boss at 80? And, but I ended up really appreciating him and, and he came to be a mentor of mine and a friend. And, and he said to me one day, you've been running the pediatrics department for a little while. Like, I want, give me your vision of the pediatrics department and, you know, get back to me. And I think he probably thought I would like work on it for a week and come up with like a one page summary. And for whatever reason, I took that to like the 10th level and (laughs) which I guess is kind of no surprise to some people who know me and decide, and like, I took three months to do it. And I put together everything like that, like kind of like this utopia of pediatric care and everything I would ever want to do in the department, like if money wasn't a factor, if, you know, I didn't have to get anyone's permission to do things, if space wasn't a factor. And I think it ended up being like seven pages, single space, like 11 point font (laughs) document. Right. And I handed it to him and he was like, Oh my, I mean, this is going to take me forever to read, but you know, but when I really think back of like, that was when I did the exercise of doing that made me realize like, okay, this is what pediatric care could be and should be. Yeah. And it really was the basis for this. And it was after I think completing that, that I realized, Oh, like there's a way to do this in a different way. And so I didn't do anything about it for a while. I think I dreamed about like opening my own place and talked about it with some people who were close to me and my husband and my family. And what I think one of the reasons I was like, oh, I wouldn't do this now. My kids are on the younger side. I mean, they were, they're now 14 and 16 freshmen and junior in high school. And I thought, well, when they go to college, maybe I'll work on this. Yeah. And then it was really like them in many ways who inspired me to do it. They were like, mom, just open your own place. Like you have all these great ideas and you can do it. Like, why yeah. don't you do it now? And I thought, well, you know, there's never a good time to like kind of dive in and do something really hard. And that's going to take up all your time. But if they're on board and my husband is like a serial entrepreneur at heart, even though he works for a large company right now, and yeah. they were all like, yeah, do it. Like, why not? Like, if you don't try, you'll never know. And and so I was like, okay, here goes. <laughs> <laughs> so you just did it. You just did it. So, well, I mean, so it was like years and years. So I, I first came up with this idea of it being a for-profit institution yep. where I ha- have always had sort of a very mixed patient population. The majority of uh, my patients were and are low-income families from mostly minority backgrounds. And then I also have a lot of families with means and who have private insurance. And I thought concierge medicine has had been starting to take off. And I had a lot of friends who'd been telling me to go into concierge medicine for a long time. And so I came up with this kind of concierge, like true concierge model where certain people were going to pay a large fee for the year for access to their pediatrician, just like people pay for, for adult medicine. And then that would help fund people who couldn't pay. Everyone was going to pay something, right? So some people might pay a couple thousand dollars a year 
which is in line with what adult concierge practices charge. And some people might pay only like $5 a year if that's all that they could afford. Okay. Um, and so I, I went and pitched it to a potential funder or investor, I should say, who is also a friend and, and he's also, you know, doesn't sugarcoat anything. So I purposely <laughs> this whole PowerPoint and I put it together and I was really excited for this pitch and I um, pitched a hit to him and he said, yeah, like, I don't think it's a good idea. And, you know, I was like, I mean, really? And um, <laughs> like, not a good idea. And um, he was like, I, I mean, I don't know how you're going to get people to invest in this. You're offering, you're offering a 6% return after a couple of years. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, but like, it has a philanthropic like arm to it. And he's right. like, yeah, but not an, you know, it's, it's a for-profit company. You're making money. You're making more money every year. Like, I don't know. It's like, there's nothing like interesting about it from an investment standpoint. Okay. And I was like, okay, awesome. <laughs> so I like went home and everyone was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You like crushed. And I was like, no, like, I'm so happy. Like I didn't go and start that. And like, if I can't like hear the truth and hear really hard things, like I can't do this. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm not ready to do anything now. Yeah. I wasn't ready to leave the staff that I was working with. I like loved the staff and I loved my patients so much. So I just said back burner, put it on the side, but I, I still kept thinking like, there must be a different way to do it. How am I going to do this? I was talking to people all over the country and yeah. talking to people around here and just trying to figure out. And then I like, uh, well, like the obvious thing is I go to a private practice with my kids. Many people who have private insurance go to a private practice. What if we set this up as a nonprofit pediatric private practice? And that actually like sat much better with me. Also, like the I know medicine is a business and there are lots of for-profit companies who are doing amazing things in medicine and in a great way. But I just philosophically felt like it felt much better to be a nonprofit working in pediatrics. And so this idea came to me um, and then I, you know, went back to people, some people who will be potential donors. And it seemed like a, I had like kind of perfected the model, so to speak, at, at that moment. I remember my first, the first kind of money I received. So it was 20, 2019 and I had incorporated. So Boston Community Pediatrics existed. And then I was waiting to get my 501c3 status. And yep. I had spent the whole summer working on my application with a lawyer who was phenomenal. And we, you know, we sent it off. But as people said, it can take a year to get it. Okay. So I hadn't heard anything for a month or two. So I was getting nervous because I couldn't go ask people for money. You can't ask people for money if you're not a nonprofit, right? <laughs> right. So constantly this, you know, chicken and egg problem, right? Yeah. So I was starting to look at fiscal sponsors because that's a way where you can kind of basically someone helps you take in money for your institution before you get your 501c2 status or some okay. organizations never get their 501c2 status and just have a fiscal sponsor. So I had identified someone. It seemed like it might work out because a couple of times I had identified someone and then it fell through and I was about to kind of go with them. And all of a sudden I got this email, uh, our, the finance team I was working with, I was using their address as my legal address because I like didn't, this company existed in like space, but nothing else. Right. He wrote, don't sign with that fiscal sponsor. You have gotten your 501c3 um, wow. status. Like, oh my God. I remember actually was driving to pick up my kids at school. And I was like, oh my God, how did this happen? I can't even believe this. Like people said it was going to take a year. It's only been a couple months. This is incredible. 
Um, and so soon after that, I met with Jill Shaw and Ross Wilson from the Shaw Family Foundation and kind of pitched the idea to them. And Jill Shaw was like, I love it. We're going to give you money. And it was like, I was like, oh my God, like someone who is, you know, has such a wealth of knowledge in this area and is so influential and who I trust so much is leading this idea. And that was like, great. It was, you know, I was, I remember it was the night of the first night of Yom Kippur. Um, I was like, I met with her and then went home to have dinner with like my extended family. And I like, couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, this is really going to happen. Like, this is like this dream. And this is like the beginning of it. Like, so it was great. That's such an amazing feeling. That must've been, that's, that's so cool. Yeah. And I remember I had like brought a present, like a PowerPoint presentation with me. And I remember I like before I went to Staples and I was like, oh, I'm going to like print this out on like nice paper. I remember they were like, oh, that'll be like $30. I was like, $30 for a PowerPoint presentation. Like, what? Like, (laughs) I don't know. I thought it'd be like $5. Not that it mattered, but like, you know, I was doing all this like on my own, on the side. And and I was always like, that was the best $30 I ever spent. I'm glad I went with a nice paper. I'm glad I like, you know. (laughs) Got the premium paper. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Okay. So you got the 501c3 and then what was the next step after that? So then I got this little bit of money in 2019. It wasn't a little bit. It was a huge amount of money. It was $100,000, right? So I was like, okay, yeah. I'm in business. I had already started working with a lawyer and a finance team. And I had I had one kind of part-time employee, a woman named Emily, who had been like, who was like, just like kind of helping me get stuff done. Because during all this, I have a full-time other job, right? right. So I'm like, right. so it's not like during the day, I can make calls to places or do anything. Like I could work nights and weekends. But otherwise, like I did not have a lot of extra time to be right. working on this, but I had to still move it forward. So she was amazing and helping me move things along. And so then, you know, the beginning of 2020 came. And, and so I had I, some friends of mine had like a fundraising breakfast, a couple fundraising breakfasts for me. And so to get, you know, people were starting to hear about it what I was doing. And it really was just me then. Right. But like, I, I I didn't have anything, right. Like I didn't have space. I didn't, I, it was an idea. And a lot of people want to believe in idea, but not everyone wants to be the first to invest in a new idea that started. Right. Like you're like, it wasn't investment. It was again, philanthropic dollars, but so I had two close friends uh, or had this um, dinner for me in March it was a dinner with a lot of people with a lot of wealth who were coming. And it was like, maybe like March 13th, right? Like yep. March 2020, like the world was starting to like, yeah. perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. Great timing. And so, um, and there were other kind of panel. I was like a panel about kind of health equity. And so all these people in this room, there was a panel of people. It wasn't, I, I have to say like, it was the first time I'd been on a panel, the first time I'd been in a big group kind of giving a presentation and there were lots of questions being asked and one, it didn't like go as great as I wanted it to. So that was one thing. And then two, like the day after this, I mean, we, we, we went back and forth whether or not we were going to have it. And then the day after it, the world shut down. Yeah. Right. And not only could I not go back to any of the people in that room and ask them for money because <laughs> Like everyone was worried about like, 
their health and their safety. But I also was, again, still working a full-time job and then had to go work and be on the front lines yeah. of this pandemic where I was going to work every day and testing people for COVID, yeah. seeing sick kids. Because I was the head of my department, I felt very strongly that I didn't want to expose all the other pediatricians. I had a couple of pediatricians who were older and a couple of pediatricians who were younger and actually pregnant or with small kids. And so I was like, I guess I'll just be it. Like, why should I'm going to come to work every day? Why do I need to put other people at risk? I'll just be the person seeing sick kids, seeing people with COVID. I also had to figure out how our health center to to do this and and how to still vaccinate kids, still see well kids and set it all up. So I was working like, you know, crazy 12 hour plus days. Um, And then very quickly, also during that time, people, you know, after two weeks, people were like starving and people didn't yeah. have diapers. Yeah. And they so then like I would be working and then be running to Target to buy diapers for patients for the next day. And, you know, trying to figure out how I had an amazing team of people working with me, but how, how are we going to feed people? How are we going to get food to people? How are we going to vaccinate people? How, you know, we we're getting yeah. tents from yeah. people to set up on the like patio to test people and how are we going to bring them in safely? How are we going to keep our staff safe? And people were, I mean, I think we forget it right now. People were panicked. I mean, when I would go to work every day, like my husband was like, I hope I see you later. You know, like it was, it was, it felt that bad. Then he was like, maybe we should, should you be sleeping in like a tent outside? Like, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, So it was like a really scary time. And I just was like, I'm going to have to put this on hold. And, you know, some, uh, some people were saying to me, like, you're going to put on hold for two years. Like, there's no, like, like it's such a good idea, but like, sorry, it's over. And so, and and I was like, I I can't even think about it right now, but of course I'm still going to think about it, but I I really like put it away for three months. Right. And then with, you know, the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and the kind of racial inequities that got exposed during COVID that were not new to any of us who have been working with families with low income on the front lines for yeah. years and years and years. None of it was new, but it all of a sudden was, you know, the entire world was dealing with it. I thought, you know, my tagline was bringing equity to pediatric healthcare. And that was a tagline created in 2019. Okay. And it is now, you know, May, end of May, 2020. And I said, you know, if I'm not going to do this right now, then I should like, forget it. Right. Like yeah. either, yeah. either like do something that's hard, do something that people say is going to be like, you probably can't do or like, don't do it. Like, right. Right. and so I was like, okay, here we go. So I sort of got back to fundraising, got back to talking to people got back to finding space. I'd been looking for space. I like reached out to the realtor and reached out to my now landlord and said like, Can it, is the space gone? Of course it wasn't gone. No one had done anything for three months. Right, of course. And so we looked at, looked at it and it was in August of 2020, I signed my lease and I said, I, I need to have $500,000 raised before I sign a lease or it's like not sort of fiscally responsible, right? Like if I don't have enough kind of support behind the concept. And I had no like personal money to invest in this. So if I don't have enough support, then I probably shouldn't do it. Yeah. And so yeah. I was like at 499999 or something like it's so <laughs> close. 
close enough. So I was like, okay, sign the lease. Let's go. And um, my landlord, who's John Holland from Holland Properties, and he had agreed to sort of roll all of the um, build out expenses into my like 15 year lease, which was amazing for me because I didn't have to raise all of that capital. I had other capital to raise, but I didn't have to raise the build out, which was like another, you know, close to 500,000. So, so that was like, felt like an amazing gift to be able to do that, especially starting in the middle of pandemic, starting at this time. So that was it. And then um, I hired someone else to come on board. So we were a team of three and we like, you know, haven't stopped since. That's amazing. That's such a that's such a good story. Right, a couple of questions. So, what are the differences from like a client or patient perspective of going to a nonprofit versus a for profit? And what are like what is just like the full suite of services that you provide for your patients? Our focus again, going back to like that document that I created, which yep. I and and all of the fifteen years that I had of working with families who were mostly. Black and Latinx and mostly from low income, I heard everything that they said about their healthcare and, and what was not going well for them and how hard it was to like get in touch with their doctor, how hard it was to get people to answer their phone. I mean, I used to give people my cell phone and my email because I was like, if you're on hold for 30 minutes, that's crazy. I'd be yeah. furious if I was on hold for 30 minutes just to get an appointment. Just call me or send me an email and I'll have someone call you back. And but those are the types of things that were happening to families. And so I thought, well, I'm going to be able to create something where someone answers the phone and someone like very nice and friendly greets you as opposed to someone who like is in a bad mood or doesn't want to help you or someone's going to go out of their way to make sure that like you're getting all your needs met when you're at your doctor's appointment. And so, yeah. you know, so I, most pediatric private practices are for profit most hospitals and health centers are not for profit. So in many ways, okay. I think it's hard to tell the, it's not the for profit piece. That's the exact kind of determining factor necessarily in the difference in care. I think it's more just how, what kind of care is created in that Got space it. that you're going to. Okay. But so everything from like the way that where you walk in and the look and feel of the building. So it's brand new construction. Nice. It's, and it, there's a lot of wood and it's warm and all of the art in our building is done by Artists for Humanity, which is an organization that has kids from the community creating art with mentors. And so um, we have a huge mural on the outside of our building. All of this you can see on our website, um, which is at bostoncommunitypediatrics.org. But everything about like just the way it, you walk in, it's not crowded. It's yep. it's clean. And I always say it's it's like beautiful, but not like spa fancy, right? Like that right. wasn't the look that we, we wanted people to feel comfortable here. Like I'm in an exam room. So there, you can see there's brick. I mean, the lighting is a beautiful sunny day. So <laughs> but there's brick in here, but it's, um, and we have our programs up on the cabinet, but so, and people answer the phone and, and people are friendly and we're providing not just pediatric care, as you would think about it, like when you go to your doctor, but integrated mental health services okay. um, and truly integrated care navigation and wellness services. So we have an on-site mental health clinician who sees patients for therapy and also helps them navigate the mental health world outside of Boston Community Pediatrics. I go into all her visits with her and she okay. comes into visits with me. So we are really trying to break down the barriers 
around one getting access to mental health care, but again, sort of the stigma around mental health care. And that's one way to do it to truly integrate it. So it's, it's a part of what we do. We talk to people and patients and families about their mental health, just like we talk to them about their physical health, but it's no different. Okay. And just like we talk to them about what we call the social determinants of health. So you can't really be healthy if you're struggling with kind of uncertain housing, food insecurity, uh, you know, and a host of other things, domestic violence, so much childcare issues, like all of these things make it hard to be healthy. So those are all the things that we're working on right here on site. So going back to the mental health care, we also, uh, we have a consulting psychiatrist who zooms into visits with the pediatrician. And so I'll have a patient in an exam room, I'll be there present. And then a psychiatrist will be conducting an evaluation and be advising me on what to prescribe. Um, She is also then available for um, consultation for me if I have questions. Um, but the patient gets psychiatric care almost immediately, which is like unheard of. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the mental health crisis that is going on in our country and even in a place like Massachusetts, which has more robust mental health services is like unbelievable. Nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah. And then we also have care navigation and wellness services. So we offer a variety of after school programming. So we have like a Zoom dance class. Oh, no way. Um, Karate class, a cooking class. Our, our cooking class is like our most popular class. Um, and we basically send food to people's homes. Um, and then the kids cook dinner over Zoom with our facilitated by our staff. And then with like healthy but culturally appropriate recipes. And, and then they are able to have dinner with their families. Oh, wow. um, so that's one of like the best things that has come out of, I would say, being on Zoom is that people then get to eat with their families as opposed to being here. We also have a tutoring program, which we started when we saw that kids were struggling so much with remote school. We realized like we have to help, right? So everything that we're doing here is based on what the patients tell us. So if the patients tell us they need help with X, Y, or Z, we're going to try and make that happen. It's theory. You know, I'm I'm not saying what I think people need. I'm not the expert in our patients' lives. They are. So they need to tell us what we can help with and how we can do it. And so we have a reading program. um, And then we partner with so many different organizations to do other work as well. And then we help people with housing instability, with food insecurity, with transportation, with childcare. Um, We connect them with services in the community to help them. Wow. And then lastly, we also give patients things that we know are helpful for them at this time, um, like hygiene products, like menstrual products. Yeah. Um, we give everyone gets food, a kind of bag of hygiene products, diapers, wipes, also a book. We're part of a program called Each Other Me, so we're able and kids in the first five years of life at every well child visit, they get a book um, starting at six months. So uh, we're doing a lot, but it feels like it's definitely the right way to partner with families around their health. You know? Yeah. I mean, I had no idea you did that much. Like even um, like maybe I'm just ignorant, but I was like, Oh, like what else, like what else do people do outside? Like go in for like a routine checkup, get like a flu shot or something and, like leave. Like you guys are doing you like holistically, you're doing everything. Um, especially yeah. that's really cool from the, the mental health perspective. Like I've seen, I don't know if I'm just like super into like 
like mental, like mentality type things. But like, I've noticed it a lot more just in my circle of focusing on the, like being mentally well. And if you even like offer something like that to clients, like that's just, that's huge. Like, I think that goes so far beyond what people actually really believe that it does before they experience like getting, you know, being mentally well, uh, especially with just everything that's going on in this world right now. Like kids these days, they can just go on social media and just have, you know, come down with like a a parade of issues because they're just seeing certain things. Like it's just, it's awful uh, in so many ways. So for you to provide something like that, I think is just amazing. I had, I had no idea going into this that you guys provided something like that. So I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. And I haven't even talked about what we've been doing during COVID. Yeah. (laughs) So we also do testing um, every day for our patients, their families and the community. So we really feel like it's important. Like if a, if a child that needs to be tested for COVID, then the whole family probably needs to be tested. And so we want to make things as easy as possible for people. So we're doing that every day. We're also um, doing COVID vaccinations every day, not only for our patients, but their families and the community. So we, um, our first, um, we advocated for like six months to get the COVID vaccine in our office because I knew that it was going to be critical um, during the pandemic. You know, when, when there were all these mass vaccination sites, which are incredible for people who want to go to a mass vaccination site. But if you don't, most people like to get their vaccines with a trusted provider. And that's exactly who we are, right? Right. Like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I I, like didn't really want to go to like, you know, the mass vaccination sites, although it is a great service. And like everyone in my family did, you know, but there's barriers to transportation, there's language barriers, there's like so many things. And so all, you know, here I am in, in the pediatric office talking to families about COVID. I'm, you know, sending food to people when they're getting COVID and having to quarantine by Instacart so that they don't have to leave their house. I'm testing people and I'm saying, we know it's critical to get the vaccine. And then if I don't have it, it's like, that is hard, right? Right. So once we bought the vaccine, the first person I vaccinated was actually the dad of a patient who came in for a rash, right? And it was May and we had seen this family before. We had talked to them and then they came in and I said, I have the vaccine today. And the dad <laughs> said, okay, I'm going to get it. And I had have had so many families say, we have not, we only want to get our vaccine from you, even adults. Like we yeah. trust you. We know that you're taking good care of our kid and or our kids and we want you to give us a vaccine. So now I can give kids five to 11, the vaccines, kids 12 and up the vaccines. I can give parents their first vaccine, parents, their boosters, teenagers, their boosters. Like we can do it all here. Um, And that I think has been amazing. We've spent countless hours talking with families and especially vaccine hesitant families about getting the vaccine. We've given over 900 vaccines, which I'm so proud of because, you know, if you think about it, Sometimes I'll tell my husband that he's like, that doesn't sound like a lot. The mass vaccination sites, they give 900 in a day. And I'm like, yeah, but those are the people walking in who want the vaccine. These are people who didn't necessarily want to get vaccinated. And it's only after multiple conversations and multiple questions and back and forth that we're able to say, okay, I feel comfortable now. Right. right, right. And then we can say, okay, we can give it to you. I, I think one of the things I'm definitely most proud of is that we started vaccinating kids ages five to 11 within less than 24 hours after federal approval. And so it was approved on a Tuesday evening, I think around eight or nine at night. And by five o'clock on Wednesday, we started giving it. So, you know, I think being a small institution or, or a small organization, we're really able to pivot in ways that are much more difficult than larger institutions. 
Um, yeah. And so yeah. that's um, been incredible during that's this good. time. I mean, you're still young in infancy, right? So like, what, what do you yeah. see for the future of Boston Community Pediatrics? Yeah, so I think um, we are really focused on kind of perfecting our model. You know, that's really important to me um, and to our staff here and the team here that we like know exactly what we're doing, that we evaluate what we're doing and have a great like evaluation plan in place. That's one of our goals for this year. And then that we are able to say, okay, this is the way to do it. And then the next step is like, where do we go from here? Well, we'll probably have to expand in this location first and then think about like, where there be other locations. We're looking to expand out into the community. So we're talking with um, some low-income housing partners as well as other community organizations about kind of going into their, you know, partnering with their organizations to provide medical care. And we're yep. really excited about that work. There, I think we'll, there'll, there'll be a lot to watch for as the next couple of years unfold. For sure. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, so curious question I have for yourself. I asked this question of a lot of business owners and founders and entrepreneurs. Do you ever picture, and you, you know, especially with your husband, you said he's an entrepreneur at heart. Do you ever picture yourself 100% completely retiring uh, and just like <laughs> sailing off into the sunset? Or do you think you always have your hand in something? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a big joke in my family. My husband would love to be retired on the golf course right now. <laughs> and I told him he at least has to wait for our second daughter to get through college and then I'll think about it. But you know, the big joke is he's like, you can work all you want. If I'm like playing golf, like I'll be happy. You can work, and then we can like you know meet up for three days a week or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, no. I mean, certainly, you know, I want to be able to travel and and do some things that I'm not able to do right now, and exercise more, and play tennis, and yeah. even mahjong or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know. And maybe golf. I always say I'm going to play golf. My husband loves it. And that, and I do threaten that one day I will play golf with him. So things like that. But I, yeah. uh, you know, my mentor is a doctor named Jerry Hass. And he, the big joke is he was my mentor and he founded the South End Community Health Center. And um, he worked until he was 80, at which point I was his boss. So the joke was he's my mentor and then I became his boss. Um, but he, and he said he retired because he didn't want me to tell him he wasn't good at his job anymore and to kick him out. So he wanted to retire like on a high note. Yeah. So I totally understand that. And so that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from. That's fair. I I would, uh, it'd be cool if you got into golf with your husband. I would love for my wife to get into golf one day. I'm going to yeah. get it. I'll, I'll have your co- husband come out with me. I'm a member at the Framingham Country Club. So I'll have oh, good. He would absolutely love to. It's a nice <laughs> track. It's a really nice. I'm not that good, but it's a really nice track. Uh, but I absolutely love it. So I, I share that passion with him. Uh, yeah. One day I'm going to get my wife out there with me. Um, yeah. I don't think anyone's that good at golf. I've never heard. That's fair. Right? That's, like- yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. No, not too many people really are. Um, but yeah, uh, it's fun being out there though. Just, you know, the fresh air, it's a few hours out there. It's nice. So Robin, last few questions before we wrap this up and I ask every guest on boss's best. And I would love to hear your thoughts. What advice would you give someone who's looking to start their own nonprofit or their own business? What would be like the most, the first thing that comes to mind that for you? Yeah, I think, um, do it right. Like I think so many people said like, I couldn't do this and yeah. or it wouldn't work or it was going to be too hard or like, how is I going to figure out everything? And I think, you know, know what you know, but know what you don't know. Um, I think one of the most important things I've learned is like, there's someone who knows something about anything, totally. right? Like 
like there's a million things that I didn't know about starting a business and and no, from like soup to nuts, IT stuff, wiring the place, Wi-Fi, like that is not my specialty. But like I found someone who it is. And so I think, you know, putting together a team of people that can really help you and leveraging people's expertise and never being afraid to ask questions or find someone to help. And then just letting your passion kind of take charge. I think, I do think you have to be passionate about it and have to be, you know, kind of willing to like be on call 24 seven. Luckily I'm a doctor. And so that's been my life for a really long time. Yeah. And so that didn't feel so different, but it is, um, it's a ton of work and, you know, it can be lonely sometimes, but it's also amazing. Like I love coming to work every day. I feel so like privileged and honored to work with like an amazing group of people who are like, you know, moving this mission forward. And like, I've loved all the different people that I've gotten to meet along the way. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I I think you're right. Like just do it because so many people are afraid to start it. uh, But you know, you're going to, you're going to start, you just start it. You'll find out what you need to figure like, okay, what's the first thing I need to learn? Like you'll learn, you'll figure that out very soon. And yeah. then either you're going to figure it out on your own. And you're right. Like there's a, every, somebody knows so, uh, exactly what it is that you're trying to do. Just figure out, you know, the right people that can help you figure out and solve that problem. And then you just go on to the next one. And then eventually next thing you know, you fast forward a couple of years and you're, you had no idea you'd be able to accomplish what it is that you accomplished, you know? Yeah. We've been like so lucky too, in terms of like, our fundraising, like we've had so many amazing organizations support us to help us get there, yeah. like John Holland and Holland Properties and Harbor One Bank is our yeah. you know banking partner, as well as, you know, the foundation has funded us. They funded us. The Red Sox Foundation, we had this huh? won their impact award this past year. People had to vote and I got to be on the field holding up no like, $10,000 check. It was amazing. That's cool. And um, all our staff was there and the new Commonwealth Fund funded us, um, the Boston Foundation, the CDC, Yawkey Foundation. Like we've just been so incredibly um, fortunate to have the backing of so many wonderful like businesses and foundations and, yeah. and just feel really, really lucky. That's really cool. That's really cool. So question number two, if you could tell your 18 year old self one thing, what would you tell her? You know, enjoy the ride, right? Like I think... And do what you want to do in life and not let sort of like external forces dictate what you think that is. I think like I graduated college, I guess I was in 22 and um, had decided that I want to travel around the world and go to India. And all my friends from college were getting jobs and they said, don't. Um, you know, I, the, at graduation, all their parents were like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go home and work and go to India. And the parents were like, yeah. uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. not sure she is really going in the right direction. Yeah. So I think like, you know, like it is not like a linear path to get no to way. where you want to go and, you know, surround yourself with like amazing people and, and, you know, do what makes you happy. I think Perfect. it's really important. You know? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think like, Nobody, there's no, there's no perfect way to do it. And if you, you know, you not getting a job right away, people, for whatever reason, like judge you thinking like you need to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I mean, look, yeah. what, look what you've accomplished at this point. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's a fantastic and challenge yourself, like try yeah. like to go out of your comfort zone. Like every day I'm doing something that I've never done before. Right. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think like 
there's something really sort of gratifying and fulfilling about being able to try new things. Yeah. And sometimes it'll go really well and sometimes it won't, but that's okay. Right? Yeah. That's like, that's life experience, you know? Yeah. All right, Robin, last question. Everyone has a varying depiction of what success looks like to them. So how do you define success? For me, success is really sort of the impact that you have on the world around you and um, your local community, the people around you, and and really like how you treat others. And something my dad taught me a long time ago, like the way that you treat sort of what people consider the most important and the least important person in the room is like so telling of of a person and, and remember to treat everyone the way that you would want to be treated. And I really, that to me is being able to treat everyone with the respect and dignity that you would want is success as well as really helping people. Like I, um, financial success is, is not something that has ever kind of been what was going to be it for me. I, you know, for, I, I, if I, if that was important to me, I would have taken a different path in life, but I think just, having an impact individually and then on the larger kind of yeah. world is. It's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Robin, thank you very much for coming on. Love to chat about yourself and Boston Pediatrics. It was really, uh, really a pleasure. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. Hey everyone. I just wanted to say thank you for checking out my podcast. I really do appreciate the love I've received for this show. I believe now more than ever, any exposure to local businesses is great for them to receive. And I'm trying to do my part. If you are a local business owner or someone you know in the Boston area that would like to be featured on the podcast, please email me at bostonsbestpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow this podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Instagram with the handle at bostonsbest underscore podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com backslash bostonsbestpodcast. Again, I truly appreciate the great feedback for this show and stay tuned for each new episode every Friday at 8 a.m. Take care.